0: Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one-stop shop for all things horror content related from interviews, reviews, top ten lists, and everything in between. We're back today with another true crime mystery. This is kind of an upsetting one. So I do apologize in advance if I act a little weird and throw in some very off-kilter jokes just to try to lighten the mood a little bit. Now you probably know what kind of thing we're talking about. It's true crime, it's upsetting, and it has to do with a kid. Yeah, so that's why it's just upsetting, this whole situation here. One of the worst things, I think, about this case is that it was so long ago that I don't believe anybody working on that case at the time is alive today or anybody who knew anything about what happened to this young girl would be alive today. So this one is truly lost to the annals of history forever. The case in question is the murder of Jeanne Van Kalk, who is a Belgian child who went missing in February of 1906 and was found in February of 1906. This is the story of Jean Van Kok. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. The case today does take us back to 1906 in Belgium. Yeah, we're going overseas for this one. The girl in question was named Jean Van Kok and she went missing on February 7th, 1906. There isn't much known about her childhood prior to, as this wasn't a time of social media or really anything where people knew anything about anybody. So what we know about her comes basically what happened after her murder. She was just eight years old the day she went missing. The murder is known as the murder of Rue de Hirondelle, and it was never solved. Now, the story of that fateful day in question goes as such. Jean typically lived with her grandparents, but she did visit her mother fairly frequently. Her mother was named Françoise Van Kalk, and for an hour or two each evening, her and her mother would spend some time together, and she was generally accompanied by her grandfather. Her father was a typographer working for Les Sois newspaper, who had abandoned the family and never knew his daughter. So even hundreds of years ago, people were dickheads. Around dinner time on February 7th, so just a little past 6:30, Jean left her grandparents' home as usual, but for the first time was allowed to go alone as her grandfather was working. Sadly, she never arrived at her mother's house on the corner of Baudin Boulevard. That right there makes me think somebody was watching this young girl for some time. Now that's just my detective sense tingling, but Somebody doesn't just go missing the first time they're alone. It would be a very rare and strange coincidence. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying it's very unlikely to have happened in that manner. Somebody knew that maybe her grandfather was working that day and knew that she always went to go visit her mother, therefore abducted. Around 11.45 that night, a machinist from the Theater de la Habrama, Joseph Ellenbosch, and his son discovered a suspicious package outside the door of 22 Rue de Hirondelle in Brussels. It was a house that was later demolished in 1965. Even back then, suspicious packages were taken quite seriously as the police were notified, and an officer by the name of Gustave Van Damme was called to investigate. He was joined by a colleague, Pierre Noël, who helped carry the package to the police station on Place des Nouveaux, Marche au Grand. The department chief, Desmond, inspected the curious package and Noel opened it. Now the first thing they saw was a little weird and they saw a blue peacoat and a checkered dress and after taking a closer look they found frozen blood, the still warm corpse of a little girl which had been dismembered and wrapped up in thick paper tied with a hemp cord fell to the ground. The officers also noted that the child's leg had been removed or amputated, or whatever terrible term you want to use to describe dismemberment. Naturally, a discovery of that nature is going to warrant a little bit further up the food chain in terms of investigation. Messengers were sent to awaken the commissioner, and the public prosecutor and the press were immediately informed. When two men arrived at the police station to report Jean's disappearance, it was found that the clothes she had been wearing corresponded with those that were discovered in the package. The next day, a huge crowd gathered in front of 22 Rue des Hirondelle. Jeanne's mother, Françoise, was present at the scene, and upon hearing the news that her daughter's body was discovered in a package and she was ultimately deceased, she fainted. And I think that is a natural response to that sort of news. The coroner who examined the body was categorical that the murder had been carried out by somebody with a specialist knowledge, probably a doctor or a butcher. The cause of death was quickly established. Jean had died of suffocation from violent vomiting after being forced to drink a large quantity of alcohol, and that was just in addition to the violent abuse she suffered prior to her demise. They say that the time of death was between 8 and 9 in the evening, just a few hours after she had left her grandmother's house. The way that the coroner described the murder and the death in general does bring to mind Jack the Ripper. It's hard not to draw comparisons, a specialist, a doctor, maybe a butcher, somebody who knew anatomy and knew how to cut human or mammal flesh anyway, was probably responsible for this and the same theory was posited to Jack the Ripper. Now this is only about 20 years after Jack the Ripper was last active. Is it that much of a far-fetched theory to think maybe he fled London and moved just across the channel over into France and then maybe up into Belgium? I don't think it's that much of a stretch. However, the M.O. is a little bit different. As we all know, Jack the Ripper liked to focus on more of the prostitutes and lower impoverished class people of the time, not children. But maybe he was trying to throw off the scent a little bit. Who knows? It could just be a copycat. It could just be a standalone coincidence. Nevertheless, the comparison is there to be made. Now, Little Jean's funeral was held on February 11th with an estimated over 10,000 people in attendance. The burgomaster, Emile Demont presided over the collection of the body from St. Pierre Hospital's mortuary and accompanied the funeral cortege. The police guarded the coffin while the crowd shouted in anger. Jeanne was taken to the Brussels Cemetery in Éver, where she was buried, and she remains there to this day. So naturally, the police began to search for the little girl's killer. They started dragging the canals to find her legs, which were indeed still missing. And that is kind of the ultimate kicker here. You're not only burying your child, but you're burying her incomplete, which is got to be even more devastating. There's still a little bit of closure to be had when something like that happens. Oh, it's just terrible. On February 16th, a gardener by the name of Boulen found two packages, about 40 centimeters in length, in the park of a royal Steubenberg farm. Also, the day before, Jean's boots had been found close by. The Belgian government offered a reward of 20,000 Belgian francs to anyone who could identify the murderer, and even offered leniency with regard to any person indirectly involved who incriminated themselves. They're basically looking for the butcher's assistant who walked in on him chopping up a body and just kind of went, I saw nothing, and turned around and left. Or maybe it was the friend who got the call in the middle of the night being like, Hey bro, I uh, killed somebody and I kind of need you to help me bury the body. And they're looking for that guy too and they would give him a lighter sentence. I don't know if they'd still give him the 20,000 francs. That is a little bit peculiar. Actually, how does that work? If a reward is offered for information on the murderer and somebody comes forward and goes, I'm the murderer, do they get the reward? I think it's something to look into. I mean, what if you're struggling and you have a family to feed and you accidentally killed somebody? and you turn yourself in and you get $100,000 or whatever that equals to today, you can give it to your family. I mean, I'm not saying that's something you should do, but it's an interesting, kind of, more like a fiction story that would probably make a decent movie. Or not, I'm just talking to my ass at this point, because I don't really want to go into this case any further, because it is very upsetting and disturbing. Like I said off the top, these sort of cases make me a little uncomfortable, especially when it has to deal with kids. So, awkward humor, here we come. But let's just get kind of back into it, A police dog and her handler were dispatched to the crime scene. The dog stopped at 22 rue des Hirondelles. Then another house embarked at length in front of the grandparents' house. Later, a Spaniard and an Algerian were remained in custody, but both were released without charge. Jean Menet, a butcher's apprentice who begged in the streets, was similarly arrested but also released. Some time later, a bloody shirt was found on Chaussée des Waver a Dr. Nissen was considered a person of interest, but again, no convincing leads were uncovered, no evidence linking him to the case, therefore nothing happened. Now we enter the media portion of this case, and of course the media criticized, chastised, and just all around butchered the police investigation. They called the authorities incompetent because they were never able to solve the crime. A Parisian lawyer, Louis Franck, gained access to the files and listed 29 failures in the investigation. On top of that, he published those findings in 1909 just to kind of rub salt in the wound. Some leads apparently were never followed up because they came from a little girl. Now anybody who's ever seen a horror movie knows to always trust the kid, they see shit, they know shit, and while their memories might not be great, the basics and the foundation of the story is generally pretty accurate. Sure, they may say a hippo man killed the guy, but maybe it was just somebody who looked like a hippo, a fat dude with buck teeth, or maybe he was wearing a shirt that had a hippo logo on it or something. Who knows? But they generally know what they saw. Sadly, in this case, because it was a little girl who reported seeing something, they go, ah, that's nice, sweetheart. Go go play with your toys now. Go play with Dolly. So, unfortunately, those leads were never followed up the little girl in question reported seeing her friend around 7 p.m. on the night of the murder near her grandparents' house. Accompanied by a man she seemed to trust but heading in the opposite direction from her mother's home. Emile Roussel, the owner of Les Soirs at the time, opened a subscription service to fund a white marble monument in honor of Jeanne. The title of that monument would have been called Little Angel of Rue des Hirondelles." The following year, another child, Annette Bellet, was found dead in Anderlecht under very similar circumstances. Her killer, like Jean's, was never found. So if we take into account that child's report, the one who was never taken seriously, and she said she had seen her friend, so she knew Jean, around 7 p.m. on the night of her murder, near her grandparents' house, so not too far away, accompanied by a man she seemed to trust. That immediately makes me think it was her father, The one who abandoned them when she was just a baby or before she was even born. Perhaps her mother went around him and was like, hey, I want some money. This is your kid too. This is a tough time. We need some cash. You need to pay child support, essentially. Now, I'm not sure if child support was even a thing back then. But it's not entirely unlikely that she did go around and was like, hey, I need some help with this kid. Maybe she didn't. But if that's the case, if she did do that, and I'm just hypothesizing here, these are complete fabricated theories that don't have a whole lot of standing but I just want to throw everything I can think of out there maybe he was like hey I don't want to do that and his only option in his mind was to well kill the little girl again it seems far-fetched and it's very unlikely given the circumstances of the murder what could be likely is that Jean was just a very trusting young girl it's highly possible that she met this guy on the street and goes hey I'm a friend of your mom Let's go to her together. She said to meet you at this place, and then they just walked hand in hand away, and that was the last time she was ever seen. Remember, she was eight years old. It's not too difficult, especially in 1906, I'd imagine, to gain the trust of somebody that age. But other than that, there isn't really a whole lot to go on. The case files aren't really available online and it's very difficult to find any more information about this case other than what I could find, but it was very interesting. Especially the nature in which she was killed, forced to drink large quantities of alcohol and obviously the violent abuse. Then of course the manner in which her body was disposed of. Again it does ring true of a little Jack the Ripper, although very very unlikely. And the fact that another kid was killed not too far away. Under very similar circumstances. Could it be a serial crime? Could it be Jack the Ripper? Or is it just all pure coincidence or copycat or neither? That's the thing about these old cases. We don't have a lot of information, so it's a lot of speculation. But that's all I got for you today. My name is Casey, and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a five star rating on Spotify. If you do that, feel free to let me know. Send me a message anywhere you can find me, and I'll give you a shout out on the program. You can also leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, but that's not super effective anymore as I don't think anybody actually uses iTunes. But you can still do it and it's a great way to get a shout out if you want as well. Five star ratings and the review associated will be read out on the show as well as your name and all that fun stuff. Beyond that, you can find me on social media on Instagram at Ominous Origins Pod, Facebook at Horror Shots or Twitter at horrorshotsprod, Prod as in production. So until next week.